0: Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I breathe that loud. Um, So you live with a very material world right in front of you all the time. And it tells you what you should want, and it tells you what's good, and it tells you what's bad. And for the most part, it works out for us, right? Because we'd make roughly enough money even though we'd want more. And we have roughly enough stuff even though we always want more. And our relationships, they're okay, roughly, roughly most of the time, and so we live for this world we can see until we run into the roadblock of hardship. And maybe it's smaller and maybe it's really, really big. We run into the roadblock of devastating news or painful circumstances or massive disappointments. And then we've been living for this physical world and we run into this physical roadblock. And what's left disappointment what's left get really frustrated and mad at life what's left withdraw and disappointment and despair what's left why shouldn't we be just a little more cynical about people and a little more cynical about life and each of those responses is a way of withdrawing it's a way of quitting it's a way of of stopping it's a way of not enduring. But as we look at Hebrews 12 today, and it will tie into the supper, there's a whole other world for us to look at. And, and when we see that world, we don't have to withdraw. We can grieve without going in despair. We can be frustrated, but then find gratitude. We can face it and not give up. We can face it and not become cynical. Because there's a world that's real, and there's a world that's better, and there's a world that's ultimate, that stands behind our world. It's not a world we see, except for the eyes of faith but it's a world that's just as real. And that's what the author is, is um, as he's beginning to wind down this challenge to endure, endure, endure. At the end of chapter 10, endure because great reward is yours. Endure because there's promises waiting on you. In chapter 11, endure. Look at all these examples of people that endured. In chapter 12, it's your turn to endure. And by grace, there are certain personal commitments you're going to have to make if you want to live a life of endurance. You're going to have to have certain commitments in your life to continually remove and weed the distractions of your life out because there's always a new one latching on. There's always a new commitment. There's always a new priority. There always is a new activity. There's always a new good thing vying for time and attention, and we're continually ripping by personal choice, by personal responsibility, by personal conscientiousness, by the grace of God within us to fix our eyes on Christ and not let these things grab us. But if we're also going to endure, then it's going to be helpful to know what God's up to when things hurt. If I know the purpose, there's a lot of things I can endure. If I know that something is happening and it's good, then there's a lot of things I can press through that are painful now. And so God gives us purposes as the second main part of our endurance. It begins with, he is a father who loves us. Now, is that the grid that you and I look through our hardships through? Do we look through our trials and our loss and our suffering through the grid of, I have a God who is my Father and loves me? And if that's the case, He is training and working in me a purpose of sharing in His holiness, of sharing in becoming more like Christ, more intimate in my relationship with Him, more resembling in my day-to-day life. And God, the wise and sovereign Father, says, This is better. It's better than your comfort. It's better than the things you can experience now. God's up to good stuff that only will happen in our life through the wise and sovereign work of God to take us through some things that are hard, not just let us avoid them all. Well, we've got some personal responsibility. We've got God's purposes. And then last week, we looked at that third component. You cannot live this life alone as a faithful Christian And I hope you don't want to live this life alone as a faithful Christian. We need a community of faith if we're ever going to endure to the end. We need a community of faith if we're ever gonna be the fullness of what God would have for our lives. And so this community of faith that we're a part of, we are absolutely commanded to get in each other's business. Now I don't mean get in each other's business, pardon the expression please, like little old ladies sitting around talking about everybody's business as a good prayer meeting, I'm talking about we need to be in each other's business because we love each other enough to press in and move us forward. And not, it's not just little old ladies, sorry. Y'all sit in metal like that too. So, we're actively called to get into each other's business, to get into each other's lives. And one of the ways we do that is we live faithfully even when things are hard, and one of the reasons we do that is we know that the more we can walk out the life of Christ when things are hard, the more it levels the path and levels the course for the people around us to run faithfully, and the people behind us that run faithfully that are just a little weaker, that just need a little more encouragement, our faithfulness makes their faithfulness easier. And the opposite would also be true. Our inconsistency is gonna make theirs easier. Or, we continue on and he says, strive for peace and holiness without which anyone will see the Lord. And so if we're going to be in community together, we're going to offend each other. We're gonna sin against each other on purpose sometimes. Are we gonna be the people that settle for polite distance are we gonna be a people that urgently push for peace because it's peace that is required for us to be together and endure but he qualifies it a little bit. It's not the kind of peace that comes from compromise. It's not the kind of peace that says important things are important. It's the kind of peace that is is an expression of holiness. It's an expression of commitment to God and his ways and his truth. It it doesn't compromise the things that really matter to get there. And so compromise the things of me and my preferences, absolutely. Compromise the things of God, no, 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 no. That's not peace. Peace. That's not peace. And then the last part of the text is a challenge to us. Oversee, like elders, it's the same root word as elders. Oversee the people around you. Oversee their growth in the faith so that they experience all the grace that is meant for them in God. Oversee that they experience all of God they're meant to experience. And oversee them that they make all the difference in the lives of others they're they're, they're meant to make. And so do you look at the people around you and, and do you go into your friendships thinking... How can I make sure that all the grace that is meant for their lives, they experience it? And all the impact that they're meant to make on another person's life, they go do it. And it won't be because I held back. It won't be because I stayed at a distance that they didn't reach the fullness of what God had for their lives. Help them obtain the grace of God. And then, there's this thing called bitterness. There is plenty in life for you to be bitter about. If you want to give me good reasons to be bitter, I'm sure you have them. If you want to give me a good excuse why you are bitter, I totally believe you. And yet that bitterness will destroy you, but it won't just destroy you. It will poison the air around you and destroy the people around you. So, do I love you enough to come help you come out of bitterness, help you process grief, help you process loss in a way that gets you back to God and gets you back on track, or will I just sit there and let you uh, stew and soak more and more in your anger and more and more in your disappointment, and more and more in your hurt, so that you 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 freeze there and you never get back out? We have to watch over people for stuff like that. There's too much stuff in life that tempts us to do it, and then we also have to watch over each other morally. Everything in this physical world vies for your attention. And it is so easy for your physical appetites to completely choke out your spiritual appetites. And we need the people around us to show us the good stuff that we like and are consumed with is becoming a, a choking hazard to our spiritual life. And if, if people don't show us that, then it's going to be so easy to avoid and to keep doing it. Right, and so if we're going to endure, there's a personal responsibility. If we're going to endure, there is understanding the purposes and relationship we have with God. And and, and if we're going to endure, we need each other. Well, he's continuing that same thought today. If we're going to endure, then we need to see that there is another world and a better world and a more ultimate world beyond the world we see and experience every day. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna open up the curtains of heaven for us. And he's gonna say, go look at what's going on in heaven right now. Go look at the spiritual world that you can't see and so often you don't perceive and so often it's not something you're experiencing as fully as you should. And he's gonna say, go look what's happening there so that when you face the reality that I'm a part of in heaven right now and it's waiting on me forever, doesn't take away this world but it frames this world in a better perspective of a more real world, a more ultimate world. That's what the text is going to do for us today. Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the ur- order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in a festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood, it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pray. So, Father, just like we read earlier, we're coming to a feast. Hey, yeah, It's a feast packaged in little wafers and packaged in small drinks of juice, but it is a feast if we have eyes to see. And if we have eyes to see, we are so unworthy. There is no reason for us to sit at your table. It, it doesn't make sense except for that Jesus came and he lived our life on our behalf, or his life on our behalf, and he died a death on our behalf, and he rose again on our behalf, and he welcomes us to feast, the feast of grace. He welcomes us to feast and drink of a blood that's better blood, that has a better righteousness, a better salvation, a better hope, a better forgiveness. And so, Father, I pray this wouldn't be some routine we go through in a few minutes. I pray this wouldn't be something that, that we're impatient to get through. But this would be a, a, a little bit of tangible taste of the amazing beyond our imagination banquet in heaven that we'll take part in. And when we eat and we drink and remember, we'll be able to walk in, press on, face what there is to face. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So, endure by remembering we enjoy a better covenant. Endure by remembering we enjoy a better covenant. In the old, God's holiness was terrifying and inaccessible to sinful people. In the old covenant, God's holiness was terrifying and inaccessible to sinful people. So, here's an experience I think that we can all relate to that can help us think about this. You go and see a movie in the middle of the day. Now, you know it's cheaper to see a movie in the middle of the day. Hint, right? you don't have to pay $20 for a movie. It's just 12 or whatever. And so you go to a movie in the middle of the day and it's dark and then you walk out and the light, the, the sun just assaults you and your eyes hurt and you, you can't, everything's fuzzy and you can't make it out, right? It's uncomfortable as it can be. And, you know, I looked this up. If you stare at the sun, you can actually get sunburn on your eyes. Now that's pretty miserable. And if you're, dumb enough to do it. I'm sorry, I got to measure my words. If you're dumb enough to do it and stare at it long enough, it'll actually cause permanent damage to your eyes to look at it. When we think about the glory of God, it's like a blazing sun, but it is so much more, it's so much brighter and it's so much more glorious and it's so much more wonderful than the physical sun could ever be. And you and I, apart from Christ, are so much darker than a movie theater could ever be. And it's a moral darkness. It's, it's a sinfulness. It's a blindness that we have. And so you can only imagine, it's not just uncomfortable to catch a glimpse of the glory of God. It's terrifying. It's life-ending. Throughout the Old Testament, it's, God would say over and over, no one can see me and live. And so when we get to the Old Testament, there were these very tangible experiences of God. There's a pillar of cloud, and there's a pillar of fire, and, and there's a sacrificial system, and all of those things happening, and there were these encounters where God came down like we're going to look at today. And, and you and I are probably like, I would love to see God. If God would just come and give me a sign, if God were just walking around with me like Jesus did, then, then I know I'd be faithful then. Not true there's people that did that in the Old Testament they came face to face with with just the veiled presence of God and you know what it showed them? he is so awesome I'm terrified and he is so holy I could never get to him there is no work there is no religion there is nothing that can take away my sin and bring me from where I am to where he is he's totally inaccessible That's the old covenant. It's not the new one. That's what they lived under, and that's what lost people live under today. Until God became flesh and dwelt among us, and he lived a sinless life in the person of Jesus Christ, the one that you're required to live, the one that you're demanded to live, the one you're accountable to live, and the one that you could never, ever live. And he lived it for you. And he died on a cross for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And Paul says, this is the most important news I can give you. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And everyone who would turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save him, the holiness of God no longer banishes us to an eternal, infinite distance from him It welcomes us into an intimate fellowship with him. And we become children of God. He is our father. He loves us. We are his children welcomed into his presence. There are two covenants. And one is very tangible, but it leaves you separate. And one is more spiritual and experienced internally and in community. And yet it offers us a welcome that nothing else could compare to. So let's look at the text as we go through it. There's, it's framed around two repeated verbs. So if you notice in verse 18, you have not come to what can be touched. Verse 22, you have come. What is it that the Christian now experiences? What is it that the Hebrew, uh, former Hebrew believers have experienced? A whole different kind of mountain, a whole different kind of experience marked by a whole different kind of covenant, which we'll get to. And then it's also framed around The idea of speaking. And so, as you're reading on, it says the the hearers of the first message, they begged, please don't let us hear from God anymore. Please don't let him speak anymore to us. Because it will kill us. And then, under the new covenant, what does it say? There is a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the than the um, word of Abel's sacrifice. And so, as we go in, let's look at it. The first one, and we'll be turning to Exodus 18, 19. Exodus 19. And so, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Uh, in the first covenant, which is being represented, it says, you have not come to what may be touched. And many of your translations supply to the mountain that may be touched. And they get that from verse 22, the mountain, Mount Sinai. Uh, I'm sorry, Mount Zion And the background of this story, which is Mount Sinai, which is where the first covenant was instituted, it's where the law was given, it's where the Ten Commandments came from. And so you haven't come to Mount Sinai that can be touched, and to get laws that can be touched, and to see a cloud that can be seen. Instead, you've come to a different mountain. And so what is the mountain we haven't come to in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20? So what I'm going to ask from you is this. Don't fall asleep for five minutes, okay? Okay. I'm going to go through and and put some strings together that someone helped put together for me. And it's important, but it's going to require a little more complexity than what we are used to. Okay, so if you'll give me five minutes of focus, I believe it'll be worth it. So, in Exodus 19, here's what's going on. Right? And it's it's you'll you'll hear the quotes from Hebrews uh, where we are in it. And so in Exodus chapter 19, God has delivered them out of Egypt, and he says, "I, I have redeemed you, right? I have brought you out on the wings of eagles. I've I've redeemed you. I've delivered you. And here's what here's one of the things I want you to remember. This is one of the strings. If you keep my covenant, what will you be? Treasured possession kingdom of priests, meaning all of you will be priests, or at least all of the males will be priests. All of you will know me, hear from me, represent me. And then holy nation. Got it? Treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. And then he sets the scene. And what is the scene? He says, consecrate yourselves for three days. On the third day, I'm going to show up. And so Barricade off the mountain. If you touch it, you die. If a beast touches it, a beast will die. Again, that's quoted in Hebrews 19. Go near the mountain and you die. Three days, consecrate yourself. Don't go near the mountain. On the third day, I'm going to show up. And then what does he say? When I show up, you will hear a trumpet. Again, that's in Hebrews where we are and that's here. You'll hear a trumpet and when you hear the trumpet... What do you do? Let me find the verse just to make sure you know it. In verse 13, when the trumpet sounds, they shall come up the mountain. So don't go near the mountain till you hear the trumpet. Come up the mountain. So that goes on, and then God appears. And it's lightnings and thunders and smoke, and there is this awesomeness to the holiness of god and it has to be veiled in some way for god's presence to be there because if you see him it, it, it you won't live you'll die and so god comes down in this awesome display of natural wonder with smoke and clouds and lightnings and thunders showing his presence but also veiling his presence and then look what happens in verse 16 a very loud trumpet blast now what are you supposed to do when the trumpet sounds what do you do? You're supposed to go up the mountain. All right? And then he says it again in verse 19. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and what are you supposed to do when the trumpet goes? Go up the mountain. So it grew louder and louder and Moses spoke and God answered him and he said, and the Lord came down and he said, or, or the Lord called Moses and who went up? Moses came up. So, you're supposed to be a kingdom of priests a treasured possession, a holy nation. I want you to stay away, consecrate yourself. When you hear the trumpet, everybody come up. And we hear the trumpets. And who comes up? Just Moses. Just Moses. Nobody else, right? And then, if you flip over to chapter 20, this is after the giving of the law, you get a recap. And uh, I don't have, I think it's 18. 18. Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. Now they're a bunch of liars because, you know, they wanted to stone Moses about five times. You speak, we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us. Why? Because we'll die. So think about what was forfeited in Exodus 19. You can go up into the presence of God, all of you. You can hear the words of God, all of you. You can take my words and share them with others, all of you. You can represent me to everyone on earth, all of you. A kingdom of priests with direct access to God. But it was too terrifying to them to even think about going up into all of that awesome presence of God. Too amazing to think about. And they said, no. Moses, you go do it. You bring back what he says. You be the one. And and we'll just listen. Before we transition to the New Testament version of this, I want you to think about this. How often do you live your relationship with God this way? Maybe not out of fear, but how often do you live your relationship with God this way? Pastor, you go study the Bible and you teach it to us in a really good way on Sundays and we'll hear, not necessarily obey, but, but we'll listen to you. Pastor, you go do the holy stuff and the important stuff and we will sit here and, and, and we'll listen and we'll Peace on that. You go make sure we're making disciples, but we'll make sure you're paid to do it. And I do appreciate that, by the way. My family appreciates it. But think how wrong it is. You have direct access to God. You can hear God and know God and study God and his word in a way that's unprecedented in history. And you can take that, and you can give life to the people around you through the life-giving words of God. You can meet with Him. You can know Him. You can hear Him. You can hear from Him. You can share what you know to give life to the people around you. And you can show what He's like everywhere you go on earth. In fact, you have to. And yet it's like, no, you go in here. And then you come back, and we'll listen to that. Listen to this out of the New Testament. There's a reason I wanted you to remember those three words. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen race, now listen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Does that sound familiar? It's like what you refused in the Old Testament because of the terror of God's holiness and your sinfulness, it is your expressed purpose in the New Testament. You are, and you don't get a choice in the matter. When you believe in Jesus and when you're declared righteous, you become a priest. I don't feel very priestly. I don't care what you feel. You are a priesthood, but I don't want to be. You are a priesthood. It is part of your identity in Christ. And you're a treasured possession of God. Now that part we probably do like a little bit. But what would be so tempting is to be like, that's ah, awesome. And miss the rest of the verse. It's his priesthood is purposeful. He doesn't just want priests to hang around with cool priestly clothes. What does he want him to do? You became this why, or I declared you this why that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why is it here? Why did he make us priests? So that we might know him, so that we might hear his word, so that we might share his word, and that we might represent him everywhere we go. And so before we flip to the to the other side of the equation, here's what I want you to get out of this. You are a priest. It's part of your identity in Christ. We don't have time to develop it. It's just true. You are a temple. So let's put it together. Everywhere you step foot every day of your life becomes a holy place because you are a temple of God. He dwells in you by his spirit. Everywhere you go this week, it becomes a sanctuary. And when you get there as a sanctuary, what is your task? You're a priest. You know God and you represent God everywhere you go. You know God and you bring God to bear on everything, everywhere that you go. You're a holy place representing a holy God to everywhere you go. You're a priest. You're a temple. The second step in this, in the new covenant, God's grace in Jesus welcomes us to a glorious spiritual reality. In the new covenant, God's grace And Jesus welcomes us to a glorious spiritual reality. So as terrifying as God was in the old, he was true and glorious and holy and wonderful and and big and majestic. We're just sinful and it's terrifying to us. In the New Testament, what was terrifying and off-putting or putting us as far away as we can becomes beautiful and welcoming. Same God, same glory, same majesty, same beauty And yet forgiveness, a mediator, stands between us. I'll tell it to you in a story like this. You know a guy named Peter from the Bible? Apostle Peter? Peter meets Jesus in a very infamous way. In Luke chapter 5, he's fishing all night. So he's stinky, sweaty fisherman. He catches no fish. And he's headed in. And this guy, who's dressed more like a teacher than a fisherman, says, hey, throw your nets out. And Bring him in for a catch. And he's like, we've worked all night. We've caught no fish. Sure. And he catches two boats worth of fish. Yes, has to have help to bring it all in. And you know what Peter's response to Jesus is? It's the same response that we just saw. He falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. He encounters Jesus' holiness. He encounters Jesus in his power. And he's like, go away. I'm not worthy but the good news starts to happen, right? He doesn't go away at all. He invites. He invites Peter to follow him. He invites Peter and says, I'll make you something different. Same holiness, same unworthiness with Jesus in between. Turns it from inaccessible to welcoming. Look at the text as we go to it. And this is what his point is. There is a spiritual reality beyond the world that you see that is more real and more ultimate. And if you could just see it, if you could just by faith see it and in little ways taste it now, you can face anything. You can endure anything. And so look at what he says. I'm going to look at it kind of like a a party invitation because that's kind of how he does it. He's going to give you the place, you know, the address. Where is it we're going to have this party? And he's going to give the the participants, like, who's going to be there? Who's invited? And he's going to give how we get invited. And so, as he does that, what we see is it's much less tangible. Mount Sinai is not as touchable, right? We, We can't see fire and clouds. We don't even make sacrifices. We're blood running through the streets all the time. We're something physical in front of us. Instead... Instead, it's like, no, there's this spiritual world. You can't touch it, but you're welcomed to there in a way you can't imagine. And you celebrate there in a way you can't imagine. So let's just run through it really quickly. What's the place? Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Right? So now we know it's a spiritual, the heavenly one. It's not the earthly one. Where are you now? Seated with Christ in God. Where are you now? Hidden in the heavenly places. And it's represented by Mount Uh, Zion so Sinai place of the law Zion the new covenant the place of God's presence and grace the place of Jerusalem the place of the cross two mountains two covenants this one welcomes us and so we're welcomed into Zion which is the place in Psalm chapter 2 the nations mock and the nations rage and God laughs at them and he says, I'll set my Messiah on my holy hill in Zion Psalm 46, we won't fear though the earth be removed and the mountains crumbling in the midst of the sea, though they roar and foam with its tumult. Why? There's a river that makes glad, the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. There's two different mountains with two different experiences. So where is it? It's in Mount Zion. Who's there? innumerable angels let's just go through it quickly i think we understand the majesty and the power and the greatness of angels people fall down before them people are terrified when they see them there is innumerable angels kind of like that first christmas night right the sky was lit up with angels declaring glory to god in the highest and honor of peace who else is there you are look at the next phrase the assembly of the firstborn Assembly is the word for church, ecclesia, those called out, called out ones. The assembly of the firstborn, the the ecclesia, the called out ones of Jesus, the firstborn from the dead so that he's first place in everything. They're there. That means you. You're enrolled, it says, the official document. And if you were to unfold it, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of names long on this scroll, you're there in the heavenly places with him. So we have innumerable angels. We have us. And then look out, Look at who else is there. And then you see that, that um, the God, the judge of all, is there. Did God quit being a judge? No. Did God quit being holy? No. Did God quit giving and making every man give an account to him? No. And yet you are there and God is there together. So what was terrifying and separate in the first section, you're now with in the presence of God there. How could that be possible? Because Jesus is also there. The mediator of the new covenant in his blood that we're about to partake in. And then who else is there? The spirits of the righteous, now perfected. That is the spirits to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. The spirits of the righteous, that's you and I, the saints. But what does it mean to be perfected? We've died and entered final glory. So who else is in this spiritual banquet, celebration, everyone who's passed before us who has believed in Jesus has entered the presence of Jesus and their spirit is there perfected. And there's one word I forgot. What, does, what is the mood of this gathering? Because, I mean, I think it should be very King James English and you're very proper, and I don't, I'm not making fun of King James. I'm just saying it's a very specific kind of English English. And it should be very proper and very somber and God's there and you change your voice when God's there. Is that what it's like though? There's a word after innumerable angels that applies to the whole gathering, not just the angels and not just the people. What's the description? It's a festal gathering. That word's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it's used in secular of a massive civic celebration. It's used in the Greek inter- translation of the Hebrew Bible, and it's used for all of the different festivals that God had throughout the year. And so, what are we being invited to? A somber self-introspection. You know, reverent experience or are we invited to the presence of God that unleashes the fullness of joy that is the presence of God and it's marked by celebration, it's marked by loudness. The place shakes but it doesn't shake because thunders and lightnings, it shakes because people are so excited to be there and they're so celebrative there that their voices and their shouts, obviously non-Baptist voices and shouts are shaking the place up. We've come to a festal gathering to be celebrated together forever, forever. And at the end of the age, how does this all look? What does this feast become? The wedding supper of the Lamb. And you get to be there because a better blood was sprinkled over you. The blood of Abel's sacrifice by faith made him righteous. The blood of Jesus' sacrifice is sprinkled on many nations, many people. And it makes all of us righteous. It brings us to the party. It welcomes us in. And so how are we there? We're there by a better sprinkled blood. So right in your face, it's hard. Right in your face, I've lost. Right in your face, it's disappointing. And it's too heavy and it's too much. But what's real? What's ultimate? The author is pulling back the curtains to say, look, you're already part of a party that's celebrated by angels, that's celebrated by saints, that's celebrated by Jesus, that's celebrated by God the judge, and now become God the Father, and that's what's real. That's where you are, and you can face what's here because that's what's real there right now. You're not waiting on it. That's what's real present tense and now. Do you remember Peter? We talked about him a minute ago. Depart from me. I'm a sinful guy, and then a good old Peter. The night of Jesus' betrayal, he denies Jesus three times, and the gaze of Jesus locks onto the gaze of Peter and devastates him. Now I know you, Jesus, and I blew it. Surely that will make you leave. The last chapter of the book of John, he's fishing again. The last chapter of the book of John, there is no fish caught. The last chapter of the book of of John, some stranger stands on the beach and like, hey, throw your nets out again. The last chapter, they haul in fish they can't even contain because the nets break. And this time, when John whispers, hey, that's Jesus, Peter doesn't say, stay away from me, I'm unworthy. He's more unworthy now. What does he do? He dives into the ocean to swim to get back to Jesus. And this is the beauty of grace versus law don't depart from me, I'm sinful. Let me run to you because I'm sinful and I desperately need you. We're about to taste a little wafer that represents a big feast. A little cup of juice that represents a big banquet. It is the feast of grace that welcomes us to the presence of God. Holiness that should repel us now compels us to come. And that's what we'll be a part of. A few practical things, we'll wrap this up. How do you or can you represent God in the places of your life? If everywhere you go becomes a sanctuary, and everywhere you go you're a priest who represents God, how can you you represent him well? How do you represent him now? What obstructs your sight of the spiritual reality? What is it that's blinding you? Maybe it's sin, maybe it's distraction, maybe it's just stuff, maybe it's hurt, pain, disappointment. What keeps you from seeing? By faith, beyond the veil. We live by faith, not sight. And then what can you list to invite your heart to worship and celebration? What can you list to invite your heart to worship and celebration? What positively can you say about Jesus, list after list after list, about God, list after list, about redemption, list after list after list, that turns your heart towards worship and celebration and away from itself? We can endure if we see a better reality. We can endure if we have a better feast. So let's endure. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you that we have been welcomed. We've been welcomed to angels. How amazing. We've been welcomed to each other. How amazing.